0: Thank <laughs> you. Hello, and welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange, a series of conversations with the artists, labels, and promoters who are shaping the electronic music landscape. I'm Jordan Rothline, and I'm the tech editor at Resident Advisor. As Stefan Charles tells it, Time Warp began as a local concern. The rave first held in Ludwigshafen in 1994 grew out of his record shop in Mannheim. Today, Charles and his team put together time warp events on three continents, and their flagship party, spread across half a dozen dance floors at Mannheim's Mai attracts tens of thousands of ravers from across Europe and beyond. They also run a festival in Croatia called Sonus, the Love Family Park open air, and one-offs like Sven Veid's 50th birthday party. But however big the brand has become, the events themselves remain family affairs, with lineups drawn from a tight-knit crew of DJs and live acts, many of whom have been playing for Time Warp since its early days. We were curious to hear more about their history and what goes on behind the scenes, so on the eve of their latest edition, I headed to Mannheim for the scoop. <laughs> A lot of people probably won't know who you are right off the bat. Maybe you could tell us a bit about what you do for Time Warp.
1: Uh, My name is Stefan Charles and um, together with an old friend, um, basically I invented Time Warp 20 years ago. Of course, I still work for Time Warp and um, I'm kind of the CEO of the company. My main part of the business is I do all the, the bookings and um, all the artist liaison for Time Warp, but not only for Time Warp, for La Family Park and Sonos with the partner together as well. Your company is called Cosmopop, right? Yes, the company is called Cosmopop. We are three partners: my partner Robin and my partner Frank, and everybody of us is doing a let's say different department. Robin is doing all the marketing. So he's actually usually working with Resident Advisor and um, Frank basically is the main head of production and executes all the event and looks that everybody is there safe and everybody can leave there safe.
0: So Time Warp is your baby. You started this thing, you, you invented uh, Time Warp. Take us back to the beginning, where does the idea come from?
1: I started to listen to electronic music in 1991. Going out to Frankfurt, because, I mean, Frankfurt at that time was very famous for electronic music. Sven Fade was playing The Omen every Friday at that time. I think in these days today, people can't even realize that a DJ being so famous doing a residency there every Friday. So with a group of friends, I started to go there around the summer 1991. And... Yeah, we immediately got pulled in, loved the music, loved the vibe. Went there every Friday, always like long sessions till 11, 12 in the morning. And um, yeah, then the next step is uh, I tried to become a DJ as well, which was a big disaster. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Why, Why was it a disaster? I could not mix records. I didn't get the two beats together. I would say from myself that I had a good taste of music. I bought the right records, but the way I let's say brought them together was completely nonsense. Not in the in the follow, but more in the um, yeah, I just didn't get the beats together. So um, I tried to be a DJ as well, and that at one point I ran out of money. I couldn't afford to buy records anymore because obviously nobody wanted to book me. So. Um, I came up with the idea to open a record shop, this is what I did, beginning of 1993 I opened a record shop in Mannheim just for let's say vinyl and pure underground music at that time, which was good because there was no competition at all. Which is sort of strange to think
0: about because I mean Mannheim has this great history as an electronic music city.
1: Yes, but there was no record shop. That was the good thing. We had a huge chain called World of Music, which was all over Germany at that time, and they were selling records. And they had a real good record department. And the guy who actually was the, yeah, the buying person and responsible for this, his name was Gregor Dietz, DJ God. G-O-D. He was um, he was actually very famous at that time. He was releasing music on RNS he brought all the electronic music into that city but let's say a pure record shop where you could not buy u2 just electronic music nothing was here so for me that was kind of like a good yeah a good niche so i opened the record shop and to get a little bit more known i started to do small club parties from the small club parties or not from the small club parties i started to sell tickets as well yeah, one day a guy came into um, into the record shop. His name was Michael Hawk. And he asked me, like, if I can sell tickets for his events. And I'm like, yeah, no problem. And I always had the impression hmm? I never saw him before. Because at that time, 92, 93, the nightlife scene here was very closed. You basically knew everybody, you know. You knew everybody in the club, everybody going out. Even in Frankfurt, it was a small, 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 small group. You, you really knew everybody. And so I met that guy, and he was already doing parties for two thousand people, and I never saw him before. So I got really curious, and I said, oh, "How you do that? How you how you manage all this?" He's like, oh, "Yeah, you know, I get this this list from different booking agencies, and then uh, I just send them a fax which DJ I want for that date." I, I, know, I was pretty impressed. I said, "Like, oh wow, that's the way you do it. It's kind of like unbelievable." Huh? And um, shouldn't we do a party together? And he said, like, yeah, yeah, let's do something together. And um, I think I already already tell the story now how Time Warp developed, <laughs> um if I'm if I'm really thinking. But it all is kind of like connected together. So Time Warp grew out of this meeting.
0: With this guy who came in to to buy tickets or to to sell tickets at the store
1: let's say the idea i mean coming back what you said how how i got into it i mean i first went to frankfurt then i was like a real raver i opened the record shop and because frankfurt was so near and all the main record distributors at that time like discomania neutron iq hardhouse they were all based in frankfurt what i did I went to Frankfurt on top personally every Monday morning to go to all the record distributors and buy the records for my shop. So, you know, I got into the scene because all the people from the scene at that time doing something, they were kind of like hanging out in these distributors. In um, You met them on the weekend and on Monday, for example, at Neuton, which opened in 1993 as well. Ricardo Villalobos was working, Dieter Siep was working, Semidi was working there, Paul Bridges was working there, Anthony Roter, Heiko Lauchs, Johannes Heil, you know, so they, they were working in the warehouse as salesperson, so th- that was one thing. I was kind of, like, connected very strong to the music and to the scene. I started to do parties in small clubs in Mannheim to promote the record store, and as I mentioned before... One day this guy, Michael, was coming in, and then we grew the idea of doing something together. That was in summer 1994. So he said, "Ah, you know what? I rented this place, Walzmüller, which was a old, a real proper proper industrial warehouse. I rented this place for November, but I don't know what to do. I don't have anything I don't have any DJ booked. I have nothing booked." So I said, like, oh, yeah, OK, give me your give me your booking list, the way you work it normally. And I was looking um, through all the lists. And then I saw a list from one agency called Warehouse Booking in Cologne. And on the list, it was like Laurent Gagné, Robert Armani, Acid Junkies, a couple of names which were already on that lineup. So basically, I marked all the names and I sent the fax to that agency. And then two days later, I got a call from this girl called Nick Fenton Oliveira, and she was asking me on the phone can I speak to the guy who put this lineup together and I'm like "Mm, what to say what to say okay (laughs) yeah it's me why oh I really like this this is really interesting you know what you should actually do more so um, I'm really looking for a promoter down in your area in the mannheim Heidelberg area so if you could do more and set up, let's say, weekly club nights or whatever, I would give you all my artists. So I'm like, mm, okay, wow.
0: <laughs> that's pretty good.
1: Yeah, that's pretty good because in her roster at that time was Richie Horton, Laura Garnier, Carl Cox, Josh Wink, John Aguaviva, The Stickman. So it basically happens that at the same time when we planned the first time warp, this guy, Michael and me, set up, Let's say we we start planning it in June, July, but we already set up a weekly residency in a club on a Wednesday in October and started working with that girl. And from October onwards, we already got all the people like Carl, Richie, coming and playing for us. And so these two things basically were happened at the same time. So it's like before you even have the first
0: time warp, you already have a relationship. With a number of the DJs who would become sort of the template for Time Warp, who would play Time Warp again and again and again,
1: it, it happened kind of like let's say at the same time, and especially um, let's say over the over the course of 1994 and whole 1995. We started, like I said, in October 1994. In that one and a half years till the end of 1995, we did three Time Warps and. Numbers of club editions with mainly the same artists. And um, I personally, I booked them, I went to the airport, I picked them up, I took them to dinner, I took them to the record shop, gave them some records. So we became quite friends. And I think the, let's say, the special situation was that we could always talk about music. I stopped DJing at the same time because. I mean, I never was, as I told you, I never was a good DJ. And then when I started getting serious on a um, on a promoter level or getting more and more, I, I thought it was very strange to open up for a Carl Cox or Laurel Garnier. So I never did that. And um, I think I've f- I found the right job, for, let's say, for myself. I rather for me it's better to stay um, to stay behind the scene and, and not in front. And what I think, what was good about it. The people were coming constantly. And um, yeah, Michael and me, we put a lot of, let's say, work and effort and time in in the people themselves. And at the same time, all these people like Richie, Laurent or Sven, you could meet on a Monday in Frankfurt at Neuton or Discomania because They were playing Germany so often at that time. You you can't believe that today anymore, you know, because I think they played Germany every weekend. And most of them, they had connected flights through Frankfurt. or They made stopover. So it was kind of like hanging out together. Even if we didn't work together on the weekend, I sometimes saw Laurent on a Monday morning at Discomania shopping records. And I think the biggest connection to, let's say, that group of artists is, of course, from this time, We did that club night regularly every Wednesday from 1994 to 1997. And most of the people I had there are five, six, seven times a year. Coming back to Time Warp, Michael and me, we decided to do that party. And that woman, Nick, she decided like, okay, I give you all the artists you want. Because I really like the, let's say, the, the way you put it together. And for us, that was great because... Over the period of the next four or five years, she was always protecting us. She was, you know, we were the exclusive partner for her working in that area. So it was kind of like an easy way. And Sven was in a different agency, but Sven I knew from going to Frankfurt every Monday. So I saw him every Monday because he used to hang out at Omen Hardhouse at the office. And I think he knew me from the Omen as well by going when I went out every Friday so I think that was kind of like that connection that they could feel we are let's say real ravers you know Mm -hmm. which we were you know we are still I mean I I run the record shop but I still went out every Friday and every Saturday yeah and then um, coming back to 1994 Michael and me we decided to do that party and um over a couple of weeks, we didn't know what could be the right name, we didn't find a name. and yeah that, I, I actually really love this story um, because a,
0: yeah with the when you see the poster for the original time warp, warp is huge and then there's you know time is just really little over over the top and and there's a reason for that.
1: Back at these days, no email. No mobile phones. Let's say the communication with the graphic designer and everything was a lot more complicated. So we found a graphic designer which was very near here, like a 10-minute drive. So we would go there over a period of four weeks every night. For today, it's unbelievable. We would go there every night and work on the graphic. And in the beginning, we just worked on the background. So what you see on the old graphics, the background is all done by photoshop with the spray can so he's he literally sprayed everything and every night he got one part of the of the poster and for two or three nights i couldn't go there because i was sick and then i came back and they had this huge warp on the on on the flyer and i'm like what is this and michael is like yeah this is our name and i'm like what do you mean this is our name yeah for our event Because we were watching Star Trek and, um, yeah, with the warp speed and everything. And so I thought it's a real good name. And I'm like, listen, it's it's a big record label, very respected, called Warp Records. It's impossible that we can use that name. It's not possible. We cannot do this, you know. Then the graphic designer said, yeah, but you know what? I'm not going to change it. I worked for it now the last three nights, blah, blah, blah. You have to do something. You have to find something about it. And we were like, oh, my God. And at that time in 1994, let's say the scene already changed a little bit. It was the first call it commercial explosion of underground techno and electronic music in Germany. Love Parade got really huge. You got all sorts of kind of like trance music and everything getting into the, even into the charts. So by going out regularly to Frankfurt, the night the the whole nightlife changed. The Omen was changed a little bit. The Dorian Gray, the, the crowd was changed a little bit. Music Hall in Frankfurt was changed a little bit. So what we then tried to figure out with time what was, and then the name made literally sense, was like, okay, we tried to, from the whole lineup, from the crowd, from the people we attracted and everything, going back to 1992. So we already felt in 1994 the scene already gone a little bit too commercial and let's go back more underground. So this is how the way Time Warp at the end of the day came together and then made perfectly sense. So the first Time Warp was, was not in Mannheim, it was in Ludwigshafen. Yes, Mannheim and Ludwigshafen is just split by the river mm-hmm. and it's a little bit like Frankfurt and Offenbach, let's say it like this. Yeah, Ludwigshafen was that venue which actually some other raves took place there as well, one called House Floor in the same year, which, for example, Masters at Work did their first German appearance, um, as I remember, as I think so. So that venue was used for electronic music at that time, for drum and bass and house and other stuff. So you could really, really rent it very easy. And that was the time you needed a permission, you needed a piece of paper, not like today you know today we have to hand in books with 150 pages health and safety concept emergency evacuation and everything at that time that was all um, not needed you know you could basically do whatever you want let's put it like that you rented the the building for one week and nobody really took care what you are doing inside i mean luckily we did everything right from the beginning. Michael, the guy I started it with, is still our production manager. He now does a lot of of different stuff, but we are still friends, and still he's the production manager of Time Warp in Mannheim. He was always into this sound, light, all the you know how you bring people in and bring people out. So it was kind of like a good combination. Like today, I. I Back at that days, I did all the ticketing and uh, marketing and the booking. I think I was very lucky to team up in that team at this time, because we were kind of like perfectly fitting together. And then with the second edition, we moved over to Mannheim and straight away through, let's say, my connections in Frankfurt by going there every Monday and through the girl in Cologne, Nick we got this huge, huge lineup with Sven, Carl, Richie, Laurent, Cosmic Baby, Kid Paul, LFO, Juan Atkins. Yeah, I mean, right from the beginning, it was huge lineups. Yeah, it was, and you know, we got straight away, we got nearly 10,000 people on that second edition. And um, still, I mean, saying this, we lost money with the first edition, we lost money with the second edition. Unfortunately, On that second edition, we created so much noise that the city officials or the landlord of the building, they did not let us in for five years. This is the reason why we had to go back to Ludwigshafen at the end of 1995. And this is the reason as well why between 1996 and 2000, we were kind of like floating around, not finding the right home. It was always the situation when we found, let's say, a big home, like in 1997 and 1999, we found big venues. We could always pull up big lineups and pull up big numbers of people. And in 1996 and 1998, for example, we only found smaller venues. So we had to go in smaller sizes and pull like five or 6,000 people. So we always had the feeling the brand is there and it stands for something and we can pull people, but we didn't really find the right place and then lucky from 2000 on it was a sm- not a smooth move but yeah the right move
0: <laughs> what can you tell me about those early parties I mean what what was the vibe can you set the scene a little bit
1: yeah funny um, I was just looking um, at some pictures yesterday and the day before because we were looking for some old pictures from 94 95 96 I mean if you see the vibe was always great people were really going out just to go completely crazy and having a good time all of course that were the days when everybody got dressed crazy and stuff like this you know now i think the the style for ravers is minimal you know let's say completely adopt in the crowd and completely more uniform let's put it like that and at that time every everything was colorful everybody was everybody tried to dress special, and everybody danced special. And so I really liked the energy. I mean, everything was very basic. The sound, we always took care, but lights were very limited. Infrastructure was very limited, but the people didn't care. They wanted to go out and have a good time. You didn't have major roadblocks of the police and stuff like that. So usually the party was full from the beginning to the end but I think this is more because I was more in the. I mean I'm still in the scene but I know more let's say all the people working in the scene but at that time I knew everybody on the dance floor myself as well you know so and even I think the first four or five years I still went off in the night going two three hours on the dance floor I mean I still do it now for 20 minutes actually every year but this is the maximum I can do but at that time, I really, I really went out and partied. And uh, yeah. then at the end of the night, I got the check because that was the years where we didn't have big crews to clean the venue or to rebuild the stages and stuff like that. We mainly did it ourselves and with friends. Most of the people are still working with us. So what we always did at that time, we always took care already for decoration. So um, the guy who was decorating our our stages from 1994 till up 2004 and 2005 was uh, Bamboo. And uh, he did it from the beginning. So that was kind of like a USP we had from the beginning that we always had a stage design. And um, yeah, I met this guy very briefly through these club nights we did in Heidelberg. And the owner of the club introduced me and... Um, so that was kind of like from the beginning, we felt like, oh, this is very good add on to us and a very good connection. So um, we always took care as well for the, uh, like I said, for the design and the stage. And I think this is more how you can describe the the early parties in the beginning, like a proper warehouse party. Let's say with real production, with real like trussings and lights and lasers and all this. We started in 1997.
0: You alluded to this before. The party moved around quite a lot. It it began in this region, but then you went to a number of different cities. Bremen, Berlin editions, lots of other places. Hannover. Uh, was the goal though always to bring it back here
1: eventually? Yes. And the base was always here. So even if we had to move around from ninety-six to two thousand, we moved around here locally, but we added some additions. That was more kind of like a try and error. We did one in East Germany. We did like four, five in Hanover. We did three, four in Bremen. But to be honest, it never worked out the same as it worked here. We tried this. Let's say uh, we were young and had too much energy. <laughs> <laughs> but Mannheim was always a different call it ball game you know it was always a different lineup it was always seen from the beginning Mana was seen differently than all the uh, kind of like other additions and we never had the focus actually to really build this and go international and be like an international brand i mean we always had guests from from other countries like in in the 90s it was the, the strongest countries was always france then the Netherlands, and then the Italians. Like with this one Italian promoter from us, we are working together since day one. He's really bringing us people from year 1994. But we never had, the let's say, the goal. We we wanted to establish Time Warp here in, in the region. Can't really tell you why we went to the Czech Republic. I think it was a good opportunity because we got asked um, to a guy and he presented us an amazing venue, which um, sadly already burned down. So he asked us if we, if we would like to do an edition in, in the Czech Republic and we did it. Yeah, it was quite an adventure, to be really honest, <laughs> going to Eastern Europe. But it was a good party and we presented, let's say, a very German lineup with Sven Veed, Tief Schwarz, Monika Kruse, kind of like the people we were working with at that time from Germany. At the end, it was a financial disaster as well, I have to admit.
0: (laughs) You probably get a lot of those when you're promoting a party on this scale. It can probably be pretty difficult. What you were saying about there being people from all over Europe coming to Time Warp, it's interesting for me because it seems like the beginnings of the party are that there sort of aren't other promoters who are bringing these acts sort of to this region, you got sort of the exclusive on a lot of these guys in the region. But Mannheim sort of seems like it's tailor made to be a place where people from all over Europe can come to. I mean, you're sort of right in the middle of it. Was the party really like a a local party or or was it always sort of a,
1: a European party, an international party? I mean, it exploded. With all internet and Facebook, and of course all the low-cost airlines, like in 2005, six or seven, certainly the acknowledgement of the of the event got seen. All completely international, and everybody from Europe is traveling there. But to saying this, this already started in 1995. Already back there, I would say we had 150 people from Italy five, six, seven hundred from France, five, six, seven hundred from the Netherlands. So always, even in that year, 95, 97, 99, 2000, 2001, when we had the real, let's say, big additions, people were traveling always from other countries, from Europe as well, even from, from the UK, not as heavily as now. now we have like 50% of international guests, but good 20 to 25% we always had international people traveling, but yeah, you didn't see so much about the event. You didn't, of course, there were no movies, no photos, and no not so much feedback and reviews. It was more like, I would say, a mouse-to-mouse promotion. And yeah, then certainly after the 10 years edition, and I think after the, call it, second wave of techno or something, you know, when, when Ibiza got changed completely and cocoon in ibiza was exploding and our sound you you had the feeling that the whole underground sound was again now everywhere where i got the feeling in the uk all these super clubs with with all the more commercial and trans djs they, they all drop down and everything and All the Ricardo, Loco Dice, Luciano, Marco, all these people, I mean, of course, Ricardo came up earlier as well, but all these people were certainly like coming up on a huge level in that movement. And with the new media and everything, um, Time Up was seen differently, but I would say we were kind of like internationally before as well.
0: Yeah, it was sort of being at the right place at the right time in a way by sort of the end of that period you were talking about 2007 2008 it seems like that's when Time Warp as we know it today in Mannheim had kind of come together having you know what is it you know seven stages or seven floors having the rooms booked the way that they are was that sort of a a slow development up up to that point i mean that's sort of
1: the concept now right yeah of course i mean i think this developed the same way the scene and the music developed at that time okay in the beginning we had two stages then we had three then at one point i mean four stages i think we we always had up to 2005 or something i have to say or six and then yes five and 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 then six but i think we always went with the flow let's put it like this a lot of people who are now on our lineup, like if you see stage four, for example, I mean, we just call it stage four, but it has nothing to say about the um, level of the artist or whatever. There's people playing Magda, Seth Stroxler, Jamie Jones, the Martinez Brothers, Tale of Us, Dixon. I mean, if you would go back in 2007, I'm not really sure if people would have already gone for this stage, you know? So I think what we always try to do is, give a picture of what is really actual at the moment. Saying this honestly, we are always not the hottest trendsetter and bringing in the super, super, super freshest talent. This is simply um, down to the fact that we don't have so many, let's say, free slots available, because um, with all the artists we are working with, we try to build a very close relationship. And I personally always try to work with people I like and I hope they like me as well. This makes the things a lot easier and avoids a lot of problems. You have other problems on the other <laughs> side, but th- uh, these problems are manageable. And I think this is a, a line which runs through all our events. Is it Love Park? Is it Sonus? We are kind of like a group. So there's always only slow changes on, on that group. and. Um, I know that a lot of people complaining that we are not bringing this artist and that artist and that it's always the same but I can assure you we had some events where some people were missing and then we got the same complaints where is this artist so it's not really the right and the wrong you go to this direction or to that direction I think this is just our way we stick with our friends and um I think we as well go, if some of our friends have bad times, we go with them as well. And if they have good times, they go with us. And I think it's a more, it's a give and take situation. Everybody is benefiting from each other. We try to treat everyone equal and on the same level. Hopefully people see and realize this. And I think this is the way people see us as well. And yeah, I think this is kind of like how I could describe our, let's say, booking concept. But coming back to your question, this Time Warp setup from today, I think it was a slow development from 2007 up to 2010. And now we found this format and maybe over the next years that format gets changed a little bit here and a little bit there. But if I could work with my friends for the next 10 years, I would be the happiest person on this planet. Well, yeah, I wanted
0: to ask about that booking concept. I mean, there are artists who you know you're gonna see at Time Warp. You know that Sven Vaith is gonna be in one room, Carl Cox is gonna be in another room, Ricardo Villalobos will be in another room, and that's not a bad thing. I mean, that's what you expect from Time Warp. It would be weird if Sven didn't show up one year. But in terms of other artists, are you booking around sort of those kind of classic Time Warp artists? Are you thinking, okay, would this new guy work with Carl? Would, would this new guy work with Laurent Carnier?
1: I mean, first of all, as I said earlier, um, I would say 70 or 75% of the time of lineup stays nearly the same every year because this is the, let's say, call it group of friends. We are working on a, on a constant level. We don't really look so much who is working with this guy or fitting with that guy at the moment. First of all, For me, the the biggest issue is I need to hear everybody. So it was very, very rare over the last 20 years that I booked somebody which I did not hear in a club before, maybe three or four times. So um, we are a team. The booking team is like three people and everybody is bringing up ideas who we could, let's say, add for the next edition. And then, um, yeah, some names are, let's say, coming up. And then, yeah, I go there maybe to Robert Johnson to see them or to another club, and then, um, yeah, get a little bit more connected to their music. And yeah, if if personally I like the way they they DJ or they perform live, and on top, if you have the feeling the personality is fitting to us and we fit to this personality, this is a very for us it's a very important thing that we know the communication the workflow and everything is on a is let's say on a good level that both parts fit to each other and then um, and then we work together and usually 9 out of 10 um picks it's always a long term cooperation you know very very rarely it's that we don't work with people anymore so that is kind of like the the concept of booking i mean to be honest i'm very happy now that we are involved in sonus festival because this gives us a lot more flexibility in bringing in other artists or new artists where time warp is too, let's say, restricted. And at Sonos, for me, it's it's very good because I can go there, listen to everybody. And like last year, I'm I I saw so many artists or listened to so many artists, which I I think I didn't listen in the last two years before altogether. So that's actually kind of like a great talent scouting for me. (laughs) And you get to do it in Croatia, which is beautiful. Spend a little bit of
0: time at the beach.
1: Yeah, yeah, but we don't spend (laughs) That's the thing. Um, It's really heavy work down there. I have to say, like me, Frank and Robin, nobody even, we didn't even saw See the beach, um, to be honest, because uh, yeah, it's really heavy running around on five days. But it's a, it's a great atmosphere, and the good thing is it's three clubs all on one beach, all in walking distance, day and night. So you can, if you keep constantly moving, you can see a lot. <laughs> you guys are now doing Time Warp in a number of other
0: cities outside of Mannheim and outside of Germany. Uh, there's Time Warp in the Netherlands. You did a Buenos Aires edition and you did a New York edition last fall. What stays the same when you go to those cities as you would have it in in Mannheim? Like what's the the sort of signature of time warp that you get wherever it's happening?
1: As well this is something which had to develop. The first edition we did, let's say or developed over um, a longer period is the Netherlands edition. And there again, I think most of the time it's always personal contact. I met this girl called Sophia in the backstage of the cocoon tent at Mysteryland in 2006, I have to say. She asked me if she could come to Germany and do an internship here in our company. She spoke German and I said, yeah, why not? That's cool, come. So she came. Immediately she made friends with everybody in the team. There is this girl group. One girl uh, was my assistant at that time called Gloria. She's now running in a vision. That other girl was working for us. is called Evelyn. She's now working for, for music and uh, is involved in Fritz Kalkbrenner. And Maria, my booking assistant. So that was kind of like a four-girl-A team. And um, when Sophia uh, went back to the Netherlands, I said to her, hey, please if you find the right venue, let's look into a Dutch edition because we had so many people from the Netherlands. So she found the venue, she found us a partner to work with and then we slowly, slowly developed this. And then in 2010, for the first time we started to, in MENA we always did kind of like stage and room designs. That was always one of our, let's say, key USPs. In the beginning, as I mentioned, it was more like a decoration. But Time Warp was always, even if it was a big, call it festival or rave, I would always rather call it rave. For me, it was always important to bring, each room should have a club feeling, you know, it should be a closed room, kind of like made a little bit smaller, made a little bit darker, so that you not feel, that you not have the feeling you are in a huge, big, empty empty warehouse. And um, 2010, we started to, let's say, build these stage designs on a level that we can use them more often. Then we did this in the Netherlands, so we, we built a stage design for Mannheim and used it in the Netherlands. Then the Italian edition came on top and then it went even on a, let's say, technical higher and more complicated level, but um, it was financially possible because we could share all the costs and everything with three events. So what for us is important, and then I come to the Buenos Aires and to the New York edition, that the setup and the look and feel is always the same. So we need to do, this is what we did in Buenos Aires and this is what we did in New York. We brought one of our complete floor and room designs. We shipped over there and black boxed everything, all the room. I think this is one of our USPs as well. This is, And it's not only for the, because if you, if you just have a black box, every light looks more intense of course yeah because it's it gets lost on on the walls and the sound you don't have any um any clashbacks from the wall because the curtain it sucks up the sound so for us it's very important and that's the way we talk to partner in different partners in different cities they approach us to do time warp somewhere okay we can only do it if we are on one side, able to bring the right talent. But on the other side, we really need to have a control about the production. And really, this is what our partners have to agree, that they say, like, okay, we invest in this, we do it, we deliver the full setup, and then yeah, we send the production manager there, check out the venue, really do all that effort, do the rigging plans and everything, and then really ship everything over so that the people kind of, like, get what they would get in a Mannheim dance floor as well.
0: The um, Buenos Aires and New York editions, I mean, just purely from the standpoint of geography, must have been kind of a bit more difficult to to pull off. I mean, how how is that? Especially I'm curious about New York. That is a notoriously difficult city to to pull off a party in. You guys did it. Is that something you you would like to, to do again? Was it a good experience overall?
1: I mean, first of all, it was a great experience. The way you ask, I think you you think what most of the people thought in the beginning that we are not able to pull it off because that's what we heard quite a lot. But I mean, finally, we made it together with our local partner. And yes, you're right. It was really hard work. It's, uh, It's a very, very special city. We would definitely like to do it again. And we are already planning a New York edition for November this year, hopefully even in the same place. Because it turned out that, as most of the people know, we lost the first venue. But to be really honest, with the replacement, I was actually more happy than with the original, what we had. Because the original was looking amazing from the outside, but it would have been a lot more complicated to produce. And that venue, which we have now, is actually the right size and it has the right, call it, infrastructure. I mean, there's no infrastructure, but um, at least we could do our production in there. Yeah, it took us one and a half years of preparation, running around, I think we searched 10, 12 different venues and call it legal approach in the US is a lot different than over here in Europe because you, you don't, in Europe you get your permission or in Germany you get your permission weeks before the event. It's not so in the States, you know, You all the health and safety plan and the TPA and all that stuff. You literally, finally, you are kind of like safe on the day of the event, which makes it a lot more complicated. And I think this is the reason why a lot of other events get shut down. I mean, at the end of the day, we had to make and we made good political contact. And we managed to get in a good connection with the Brooklyn Borough President and he even attended to the event And he was convinced, or we could convince him together with our U.S. partners that this is the right event for Brooklyn, bringing people there. We generated good press. We showed him the press. So I think with that support, we finally avoided, let's call it, bigger complications. And the feedback we got on the event from all the people who went there and from the press and everything was great. So actually everybody came to us and said, like, okay, you should carry on. As you said, it's a complicated city. Again, we invested a lot of money into it, so we will definitely try it in 2015 another time, and um, hopefully a bit more people will will attend. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Are there any other cities or regions that you would love to throw a Time Warp in?
1: Personally, I'm very, very sad we're not in Italy anymore, to be really honest, because the Italian fans are our biggest followers. And it's really different if you have a lot of Italians on the dance floor from the energy you can see that in Croatia we see it in Manam and the Italian edition was kind of like really a goosebump edition. So we are working on that project. To be honest, we are working on a lot of cities at the moment, but we really have to find the right venue again because on the way we produce it at the moment, it's very complicated. And so wherever we go as a next edition, we really need to make sure that this is a place where we can stay for at least like five years and to develop something, you know, because the most work is really when we do new editions, because now in 2015, I think that was different 10 years ago, but now people expect an exact copy of the Mannheim edition and therefore you really have to find the right place, rigging facilities, infrastructure and everything. So that's not always easy. We are discussing with our partner in Buenos Aires to do a little bit more in that region, to be honest, because it makes sense maybe to do at least a backup on the same weekend in another um, major uh, capital in South America because all the artists are flying down there anyway. And... We have enough stage designs and we have two good production managers. So that for us is very important. You know, we don't we would never license the brand to somebody and say, like you do it. For example, to Buenos Aires, we flew with seven people to New York, the whole team went, everybody. And that for us is really important. We can only maybe we do one more or two more, but this is the maximum we as a company can deliver on the level of quality what we would expect the time warp to be. And yeah, that Sven comes there and feels immediately, um, it's like, man, I'm home. Aya, ah, yeah, there's Maria, there's Frank, everybody's there. So this is for us a very important point. And so I think from that, we are limited to, to a certain amount. But yeah, South America would make sense because it's the same weekend.
0: You mentioned the version in Milan was kind of a, a goosebump edition. I'm sure you've had a number of those. Are there any particular nights, particular sets
1: that really stand out to you as special? To be really honest, most of them actually, because what I try to do is, yeah, my work is to walk around and I try to see as many changeovers as I can. I mean, I see every artist. I go to every artist, I say hello to every artist. I stayed always there for five or 10 minutes. I try to be at all the changeovers. You know, this is the the moments where then at at the end of the sets when the new DJ is coming on and the people are the crowd is cheering for for the DJ before that. Where I get a lot of goosebumps. Yeah, and I mean the Italian edition is because it was from the beginning to the end like this. Yeah, we didn't open the door and we already had five thousand people in front of the door singing like, you know, they were they were having their banners and everything. So I went to the door like half an hour before doors opened and my skin was like. (laughs) So that's why I said it was a it was a goosebump edition. But everybody in our team has this, to be really honest, this goes from me to to our newest employee. I think everybody really loves what he does. And I think as well, this is kind of like the spirit we try to deliver to the guests and to our artists, you know, that uh, they come to the hotel, they see the same people at the reception. I mean, our, we have a, we have a separate reception in the hotel to, you know, to welcome artists and all that. And I think this is very important for the whole, how the night goes, you know, how the, how the the spirit of the event runs.
0: Mm -hmm. You've spoken the whole time kind of about what a team effort time warp is the sort of tight-knit, like, like the original crew and has now been doing this for 20 years, over 20 years. I mean, how much longer do you wanna be doing this? Are you looking at getting out of it at any point soon? And if at some point you do leave Time Warp,
1: I mean, does Time Warp continue on after you guys? I would say no, to be really honest. Personal, I think everything has to come to a good end at the right time. I can see another 10 years, to be really honest. If you would have asked me this question in um, 2004, if we would be still there in 2014, I probably would have said no to you. But now, you know, with the team we built, what we are getting back at the moment from, from the brand and everything, I can, I can really see this. Maybe it's going to be a, a little bit longer, but... We are all three, like Robin, Frank and me and the rest of the team. We are so, let's say, connected to what we do. And this is what I said to you earlier. For us, it's very important if we go somewhere, Buenos Aires, New York or whatever, that we are there and we look after stuff and everything. And to hand this over to somebody, I can't really see that. But saying this on the other side, there might be somebody in the team in 10 years who you would say like, hey, this is the right person this is the right i mean don't get me wrong you know my partners robin and frank they could they could always run it as well but we are all the same age you know we Mm -hmm. are 41 43 so in 10 or 12 years everybody has has been over the 50s i don't know if they would want to do it but on the other side if i would stop at one day and they would ask me they they could always run it you know because they are that's the good thing about us three they know all the artists as well, they hang out with all the people, um, there, there's, a, there's a close connection. But I think speaking to both of them, I think they would be the same, saying like, okay, at one day let's bring it to a good end, maybe do a one week extended, <laughs> <laughs> call it an extended version for uh, seven days, 24 hours or something like this, doing a big closing. <laughs> I don't don't know, but I I can see another 10 years. I don't know about doing 40. Oh my God, it would be 60, 63 or something. (laughs) That's a long time. We're just a couple of weeks
0: out now from this year's edition of Time Warp. Is there anything that you're particularly excited about? What are you usually looking forward to the most at this point? The after party.
1: <laughs> <laughs> because then my work is done or not my work, then, then the night is done. No, I'm really looking forward to see everybody. I'm really excited to see everybody. I mean, usually I go to the hotel at eight, nine o'clock and look who I can find there. Usually I get always a call on my um on my radio when artists arriving so I usually always go up and and, and get them and stuff like this. For me this is um, I'm looking forward to see everybody actually, you know, because that's the not the most fun I have, but it's really it's really good. Everybody all my friends are coming. Not only from the artist side, from all my friends are coming and my family is coming. People I was going out here in Mannheim close friends since 20 years who don't go out anymore they all come to Time Warp they all are invited they all hang out with us and I see a lot of people which are actually then of course all the business related people I see all over the year but I see a lot of people with which I only see on that night and I'm really looking forward to this